All right. Hello. Welcome back to the Key to Success podcast. I'm your host, Terrell Key, and I'm back with another episode. Uh, I have an exciting guest today. Listen, I hear this question all the time. Everybody wants to know, how do we hire diversity? How do we hire diversity? Everybody wants to know the answer to this question. I'm telling you now, if you stick with us today, we're going to have some answers for you, some very real, tangible answers for how you, as a school leader or a school employee, what you can do to hire recruit and retain diversity so stick with us tonight you know stick around uh leave comments you could ask questions at any time like you know this is this is our thing man this is a family event so stick with us tonight all right so <laughs> let me tell you about first off why you should even be listening to this show i've been in education a long time i've been in education for like 16 years now like so i started off as a substitute teacher a long time ago right substitute teacher Became a permanent sub, then a, then a teacher, then I became a school counselor, ended up winning Illinois School Counselor of the Year, became the president of the Illinois School Counselor Association, won a bunch of awards, blah, blah, blah. Now I'm an assistant principal. So I've been in all of these different roles, and there's still more roles for me to go, uh, for me to grow in. But I've been around for a long, long time. So I have a lot of experience when it comes to education, a lot of good stories, especially when it comes to this uh, topic. But my guest, my guest, she has a lot of experience. She is tapped in when it comes to uh, recruiting uh, diverse candidates for promoting diversity in schools and all sorts of other things. So she's completely tapped in. She is the director of certifications at Lindenwood, but she's also uh, a member of the EDU openings uh, family. So she does a lot of work with them, uh, the Black Educator Symposium, and all of these different things around the St. Louis metro area. In fact, she, she helped, helped your boy out one summer. So let me tell you a quick story. All right. So I found out that I had the opportunity to get my first job as an assistant principal, but I wasn't quite done with everything yet. You know, but I was scrambling. I was like, oh, man, I might be able to get hired before I even get certified. Like, let me see if I could get this certification through. And Dr. Moore came through, man. She got that paperwork back to me so fast. So like from there, man, I knew like she was she was my people. So she was definitely really, really, really good. Really tapped in. She's also, I don't know if you remember, if you saw my show earlier on, she's cool with Dr. Fields and Dr. Diggs. Dr. Fields was on my show when it first came out. You know, I need to get him back on again. But so like, she, and all, I'm forgetting stuff. She trained our entire staff in diversity, equity, and inclusion. She did that for like at least three semesters. So she trained our staff. And a lot of that led to a change in culture and things like that at our school. So uh, she's incredible. And I'm going to bring her up now. So we have Dr. Tammy Moore. So how are you doing, Dr. Moore? Oh, wait, I got I accidentally muted you. I'm sorry. How are you doing? Yeah, Dr. You, don't, you don't want to hear this good stuff. You don't even want to hear it. <laughs> doing, I'm Dr. doing well. Thank you for having me on your show. Mm -hmm. Everything is going, uh, going great and smooth selling in the certification department. In you know, it, with all the changes, I'm just keeping up as much as I can and making sure I get 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 our people through. I got you. So can you tell us, you know, let's just kind of get into it because, you know, they're waiting. Everybody wants to know why. Why is this uh, topic so important to you? Because you do not only work within your, your personal job, but outside of work. Why, why does this topic really resonate with you? Well, it resonates with me because, for one, I'm going to have grandkids one day, and then they're going to have grandkids. So I want to make sure we're producing some quality teachers. Um, and more importantly, I want to make sure those teachers look like my grandkids and great grandkids are going to look. So it's important to have diversity within the profession. I have a business background, um, so I was introduced to higher ed close to 10 years ago. 
Um, when I came here, I was amazed at all the different changes that occur in education, um, the miscommunications and things like that. So with that business background that I have, I was able to organize some things, streamline some things, and really support uh, candidates who are interested in the teaching profession. Yeah, I mean, you're doing incredible work, seriously. Thank I mean, you. and I mean, y'all have your hands cut out for you. Because I mean, a lot of programs in the area, they're struggling to even get candidates in the door. But my classes at Lindenwood, I've never noticed a lack of diversity in my classes in Lindenwood. So like, what, what are y'all doing to recruit all of these candidates that come in? For one thing, you know, and I, I'm a very humble person, but I'm gonna have to take a little credit for that one. Um, what really happens, so with Lindenwood University, it's a predominantly white institution. So when you have those candidates of color, oftentimes they don't feel comfortable with opening up to those individuals who don't look like them. So when they contact my office and they hear me speak in their vernacular and they hear me talking like they talk, oh, girl, I got you. Oh, sis, we're going to do this. It gives them a level of comfort that makes it easier to encourage them and get them through the programs. Yeah, and to be honest with you, I definitely felt that too. Like when uh, when I called for like the certifications, like, oh man, I'm gonna get somebody there and they're gonna understand. Like, you know, it's hard to get even an interview to be, you know, um, an assistant principal or whatever. So now like, you know, I got the job now too. Like I need help, I need help right away. And then uh, hearing you, like it definitely, uh, you know, brought like a sigh of relief to me. So mm -hmm. I definitely appreciate you, you know, for being there. Um, and it's something as minor as that, you know, you don't even think about it. It's just feeling comfortable and like, oh, I know I'm going to get taken care of. And a big part, like with your situation is I stop, drop, do whatever I need to do to get you what you need, because I know those jobs are important for you. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, like I mean, another thing that I noticed, like Lennon was pretty good, like with the admissions program uh, process and everything. Mm -hmm. Like, do you think that's something that other schools need to consider? Like, because it's pretty streamlined. It's not that hard, like to. I mean, like, it's, I'm not saying that, you know, anyone could just get in, but I'm saying it's not that hard to get your, your materials in. Like, you can do that in one sitting, but some schools, like, you got to jump through hoop after hoop after hoop. And then, you know, like, some families, like, you know, you might have, like, multiple kids. Like, because a lot of times, like, when you go into a grad program, you got a family, you got a job, you got all of these things. But it seems like Lindenwood is very considerate of it. Um, is that something that other schools should consider? Uh, definitely. So I can only speak to our admissions process. We've, um, we've, we're, we're even still trying to streamline it even further. But we like once that individual contacts our office, typically they contact me first because they've heard of me from from Desi or from somewhere else. And then I immediately link them to our admissions department. You do a few things and then we, we work uh, immediately to get get your application process because we know the importance of getting you into our program so we can eventually get you completed and get you into those schools. Yeah, I mean, y'all are doing, y'all definitely doing a great job already. I've, I've never struggled and never had any problems. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to name another university. It's a university I love, but boy, man, they made me hop through some hoops. I mean, I was going to like the admissions office, especially in undergrad. I was going at like four in the morning and try to jump the line. But y'all, man, it's like, boom, like we got you. Good, good. Well, we, yeah. we won't be petty now. We won't yeah, be petty because I do love <laughs> the school, but I'm not. And if people that know me know what school I love, like, you know, I, I love Lindenwood too. But, you know, like, you know, undergrad. But, um, but yeah, so, like, how's Lindenwood going about recruiting, like, all of these kids? Like, what are y'all doing differently, like, that everyone else is not doing outside of just streamlining the process? For one thing, what, since I've been, I've been doing this, like I said, close to 10 years, and what I'm finding is um, you have to have a knowledgeable person, a, knowledge, a person knowledgeable certification requirements that makes that initial contact. 
So typically, again, those individuals contact me directly. I'm giving them information on, oh, you got an undergrad degree? Oh, here's a quick pathway for you. Uh, oftentimes, the, the candidates are not sure what exactly is they want to teach, and I'm willing to give them that time and that focus and help them think through what is it that I really want to teach? I have this undergraduate degree in whatever area. So it's really building that relationship with them up front before they even make it to admissions. And that's why we've been so successful with getting our candidates through the pipeline so they can get started with their courses and get them through and get them completed. So it's all about relationships, really. It's all about that's That's the bottom line. And, and you think of the teaching profession within itself. Everything that y'all do is, is built on relationships and it carries over into the career aspect of it as well. And that's that's my expertise, building those relationships, supporting the candidate and helping them through. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're definitely doing it um, because, I mean, I know people that literally like they leave the state and they still want to go to Lindenwood. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I know people in Florida that have been in my classes, like all over. And like, even if the re- professor, um, what happened with, with my camera? Uh oh. Well, I still see your face, so it's all you know, good. Got, okay, hold on. Wait, let me. I, I had a fix for this. Hold on one second. I mean, I could do a little song and dance really quick. Nah, if, we, we got it. We got it. We got okay, another. I don't want to run your. I don't want to run your uh, your viewers right, away. We got, we, got, right, we got another camera. Hold on one second. This is, <laughs> That definitely odd, you know, but, we, you know, so while, while I do this, while I fix this really quick, like, so what about the certification process um, right now? Like, as we speak, like, I know a lot of people, um, you know, like a lot of people talk about like inequities in certification. Is that something that you're experiencing? Yeah. So there, there's, there's, you know, there's a lot to that. Um, one of the bigger inequities are the assessments. So, to become teacher certified or any type of initial type certification, whether it be teacher, principal, uh, superintendent, school counselor, psych examiner, special reading, all these various initial uh, teacher certification programs, they're tied to an assessment. And so when you think about it, um, you know, we're in the minority now, uh, black people, people of color, we're in the minority. So the individuals who develop these assessments are predominantly white individuals. And I don't know about you, but I don't speak the same and I I don't use the same words as um, my white peers. So um, with those tests, there's an immediate bias because it's it's developed by the majority. And we this culture are we we don't speak like they speak. So that's a number one uh, barrier to to the teaching profession. And for my many years of experience working with individuals uh, of color, we fear assessments. I do too, but we absolutely fear assessments. And I think it's because we know that those assessments are created by the individuals who don't share the same culture as ours. So they're not using the same terminology we use. They don't use the same words and they don't put their words together quite like we do. So we have to almost consider yourself an international uh, student. You're almost interpreting their language while you're <laughs> while you're taking this very... Um, high risk assessment. So that's one of the bigger issues or is that assessment that's that's keeping us out. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And look, I'm back. You know, yeah. my other camera like we having a, we're having an issue with the battery on the other camera. We'll get it fixed. But <laughs> but yeah, so you know, I mean that that's definitely true. Like and one of the things that I was able to do in the past was that I was able to um actually work with ETS to actually uh kind of audit uh, one of those um, the exams, like the entry exam for uh, school counselors in Illinois. And I think it's really important, important, like if we have the opportunity uh, to make sure that our voices are heard in situations mm-hmm. like that, you know, that's exactly right. Yeah. 
So, um, so now, you know, let's say there's a, a candidate, you know, a person that wants to be an educator and they survive, you know, like the program, they made it out now. Like, so we're out, you know, we're out here, we're ready to be, uh, become a teacher. Like how can schools begin to recruit like those uh, teachers? Like what are some of the successful things that you've seen? Right. So, so what I've seen, uh, for example, we have, uh, Lindenwood has a partnership with St. Louis Public Schools and many don't know this, but St. Louis Public Schools will actually pay for individuals, if, they, if they're close to certification, St. Louis Public Schools will pay Lindenwood, you know, if you attend Lindenwood, Lindenwood University, St. Louis Public Schools will pay us for the tuition for that candidate. Um, so what, what usually happens is St. Louis Public will get a, um, I have some, some Dr. Letitia Smith, I gotta give a shout out to my girl. Uh, she's over the professional development at St. Louis Public and she'll refer a candidate to me. I'll do a quick review and I'm like, hey, this person is a great candidate for teacher certification. We put her through the system and then those individuals can actually become temporarily certified while they work to complete the full teaching certificate. So the, the value to that is St. Louis Public gets, gets credit for a full-time certified teacher. Those uh, kiddos get that experience of a, full, a, a certified teacher and then they become fully certified. Their tuition's paid. They're getting this teacher salary. They're actually engaging with our kiddos. And, and it's just a win-win situation all the way around. Uh, but for district leaders, I, I, I implore them to create some type of strategic process or plan to support their non-certificated staff because DESE has so many different pathways to educator certification right now due to the crisis. There is no reason for us to be having this teacher shortage. The problem is, Terrell, is nobody knows this information. Mm. And that's why I'm here. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people have no idea about the different certification pathways. And like, honestly, like, you know, I took a non-traditional pathway too. you know, like mm -hmm. to become a teacher, like you can definitely find ways if you're interested. And a lot of times, um, you know, like the minority employees that are educators in uh, your district are working as ed assistants or the, your subs mm -hmm. or whatever. But like if you do have a like a process like for helping them to get through, I definitely think that that's a great starting point um, to recruit. One of the things that uh, we're doing now is like creating like a grow your own program. Have you heard anything about those? Oh, yeah, we have uh, many partnerships. We're actually meeting with uh, St. Charles School District um, about a grow your own partnership uh, and just really getting out there, getting into the face of these kids and planting that seed early. Um, oftentimes, you know, I see so many college students and I'm, and it's and I'll, I'll point out the athletes. And I'll ask, the, you know, the big old burly kid walking through the hallways like, yo, what you majoring in, kid? And he's like, oh, exercise science. If I hear exercise science from an athlete, mm -hmm. oh, what you going to do when you finish that? Oh, I don't know. Well, have you thought about being a PE teacher? Right. You can still have access to your, your, your passion, which is the sport, and you have access to coaching. And they don't even think about teaching as a profession. And it, it could be a win-win for them, too. So um, that's one thing I do want to tell your viewers. When you are out to dinner or you're somewhere and you see a young person or even anybody, just plant that seed. You know, plant the seed. Have you thought about being a teacher? And you never know. That may come back, you know, maybe a year or two. But once we plant that seed, that thought's there and we could eventually have some teachers. Yeah, I think that's a really brilliant idea because a lot of times, like those boys that are athletes, they might not even even think about teaching and coaching. You know yes. what I mean? And a lot of schools are hurting for coaches too. And yep. it's nothing better than having a coach that's actually like an employee, like a teacher inside of the building, because they can build relationships at a totally different level than some outsider in the community that could come in. So I think that's a really, really brilliant idea. So Absolutely. people out there listening, like you know, like these athletes, like start asking them if they want to be teachers because. 
not everyone's going to the NFL or the NBA, you know, but you that's could come exactly back and right. coach, you know what I mean? So that's a really great idea, especially, you know, like with sports like football and basketball, because there's a lot of black male um, athletes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and a lot of schools are wanting, like consistently wanting black males, you know, in those schools. Like, is there, are there other things that schools could do uh, when it comes to recruiting, up, you know, black males? Well, I think, again, just planting that seed, uh, it's all of our duty to to plant the seed, quite frankly, because, again, we're going to have grandkids and great grandkids. So when we all pull together, it could be your parents, it could be uh, teachers, um, those working in the colleges. It's all up to us to plant that seed to those individuals. And if they don't know, if they don't think about it first, it's a dismissed profession. Um, if you keep it front and center and give them some value, explain the valuable uh, benefits of being a teacher, then we can we can start to decrease this teacher shortage. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Definitely. Um, so a lot of times when we talk about this, like we don't we don't talk about like real goals and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. like what is like a realistic goal for a district that's looking to move forward uh, with hiring diversity? What like what like what's what could be expected for like a yearly growth, like a realistic yearly growth goal? So a realistic goal would first be, and, and, you know, just from my business background, corporations miss out on a huge opportunity with the current employees that they have. So, you know, you hear big firms going out and, and uh, charging a consultant fee and, 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 you know, getting consultants and they're charging these big fees or whatever. Um, so what happens is within the districts, you have a group of non-certificated staff start there. You know, I can always come in and, and that's one of the things that I do to to promote the uh, uh, profession is I'll go into districts and provide provide uh, professional development to the non-certificated staff. And I'm telling you, five out of 10 of individuals, they have an undergraduate degree and there's always a quicker way uh, to certification for them. So the districts right now are probably sitting on at least 20 percent of their non-certificated staff that are actually eligible for a temporary certification. And then they can work to finish up the full certification, which will take maybe a year to a year and a half, by the way. Um, so they're sitting on certif- staff that could be certified right now. I'm talking about your teacher aides, even your cafeteria cooks. Look inside first. That's the goal. Look inside first. And then you can turn those non-certificated people or staff into certified staff. And that would help out a lot, especially during the crisis, because, you know, the shortage, because those people have familiarity with the district and the policies and things like Absolutely. that. So I just think that would be a really powerful thing to do. And when I talk to the aides, a lot of them tell me, yo, you know, I really want to be a teacher, but I don't have the time, you know, or, you know, I have kids at home and I don't know if I can handle uh, the course load and stuff like this. Mm-hmm. So having like a pathway for them would be really powerful. But what, what would you tell someone that felt like they didn't have the time to get certified? Well, you know, I do this thing and I always tell my um, I always tell my students this and even the uh, prospective students that may contact me just, you know, on a cold call. I'm going to fuss at you for a minute. So that's my big thing. I'm going to fuss because we as humans, we can make all the excuses in the world. Right. Um, but the one thing that takes time and struggle and, and focus, we want to shove that to the side and make an excuse. Um, with these educator preparation programs, they're so streamlined, they're so um, hand-holding that there's no way that a person can't raise a family, have a family, uh, work full-time, and take the courses. Everything is a guided approach through the program, so it's not difficult at all. That's a total misconception. And again, Terrell, sometimes they just need somebody who looks like them 
to fuss at them. Um, I think it's easier to uh, accept and and uh, I think they're more willing to listen when it's someone that they share a culture with. And I think that's a big part of, of, of that. Yeah. And sometimes it's just having someone that believes in you to yep. say, yes, you can do this. Like, you know, yep. like sometimes you just need to be tapped, you know, in that way. Um, yep. And that can push you a long way. Another thing, you know, like when people come into like the um, the interviews, a lot of times they don't see anyone that looks like them. Like, mm-hmm. do you think there's anything that could be done to improve, uh, you know, like the interview process when it comes to making people feel more comfortable uh, within that setting? Now, that one I don't have an answer for. The only thing we could do is just recruit, recruit, recruit as much and, and like duplicate me, you know, a million times so we can get, you know, but but that's right. not realistic. So we just have to really start uh, on the on the back end and get those teachers in there. So then those teachers eventually become school counselors like yourself and then assistant principals and then principals. So then those uh, uh, candidates can see a representation of themselves and feel comfortable. Uh, but we, we just we got a long way to go. We got a long way to go. But we what you're doing now. I think we'll get there. Yeah, for sure. And, and even like the job description, sometimes like it might say you need five years of experience. Mm-hmm. But there's so many people, I'm not going to lie, you know, maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'm not. But it's, it's like, my, you know, like with my name, man, it's just hard to get in, in the door sometimes, man. You could have all the credentials in the world and like people have no idea. Like um, even like for my homeschool, like that I grew up, I can't say the name of them. I'm not going to diss them, but they didn't even give me an interview. I'm like, what are y'all doing? Wow. Are y'all going to give me an interview? You got to change your name to, to John or James, yeah, John, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> but that's our reality, you know, because my son just turned uh, 21. And when we I'm sorry, 20. And when we named him, we specifically named him uh, based on the, the bias that he was going to receive once he got older. And it's a shame that was 20 years ago, but it still holds true today. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, it's it's almost like you slowly remove your 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 culture just to just so you can get in and be successful. Again, we just have a long way to go with that one. And I don't I don't have a plan for that, but I do have a plan to get as many people of color through this pipeline that I can so we can start making those changes and turning things around. Yeah. And like another thing uh, that schools struggle with, you know, sometimes, you know, especially when it's not a lot of diversity there, it's difficult for them to figure out how to retain staff. So like, all right, you get them in the door. Now what? You know, like, you, oh, know, like, yeah. you know, now they're the only one in, in you know, in there. Like, wh- like, what can we do about that? Like, is there some steps that schools could take? Because um, I know like you do like a lot of the trainings and stuff like that. What are some steps that schools could take to improve retention? Yeah. So so and, and it goes back to um, we just need more people of color through this pipeline, you know, because I could tell you a couple stories. I had um, a young black man, um, single father, two kids and. I recruited the heck out of him. I mean, I recruited this man. He was like, I don't know. He had an undergraduate degree in um, in English. And I was like, that would translate to you could be an English teacher with no problem. Got him through the system, got him enrolled in the courses for to meet the certification requirements, which take maybe about a year to complete. Um, got him linked up to an employer. Uh, everything's going good. He's getting benefits. He's getting a salary. He's raising his boys. He's in the school district. He's He's teaching. He's you know, teaching his content area that he's passionate in. And then there's an issue in the hallways with two black boys, you know, joshing around, playing around. And then the white teacher walks, walks, uh, was walking by these two boys. Now, this is what this teacher candidate ex- expressed to me. White teacher walks past these two black boys and one of the black boys say, uh, move, N-word. You know how the, the young group still say the N-word and like my homeboy or whatever my, you know, my N-word, my homeboy. Well, um, 
the white teacher says, I'm not the nigger, you're the nigger. Ooh. Oh, wait a minute, I wasn't supposed to say that. I, I, but anyways, okay. I, want, I needed that to hit home. So, okay, <laughs> so anyways, um, yeah. so this teacher candidate who I worked so hard to recruit witnessed that. He took it to the superintendent or the building principal and the building principal and the superintendent said, oh, don't worry about it, she'll be retiring soon anyways. Okay, what kind of response is that? First of all, let's look at the safety of our boys who had to to, to witness this uh, blatant uh, racism. Let's deal with that. Not only was this young man, this teacher candidate, about to just quit, leave the profession altogether, I begged and pleaded with him. He eventually left that school district, but he went to teach um, at another district where he feels more safe and more comfortable. So to get back to your point, we just have to really start recruiting, recruiting, recruiting to get the people of color through there. So then when when they when our young kiddos deal with situations like that, we now we have a black principal that's going to say, oh, no, we ain't tolerating that. She's going to have to get dealt with. You see what I mean? So we just we just got to work hard with recruiting on this back end before we can even get to that point. We got a long way to go. We still got a long way to go. Yeah, for sure. So I'm I'm gonna take the audience question too, uh, really quickly, <laughs> and then also I just want to kind of comment on like some of the things too, like with the interview process. One of the things that I've saw uh, like at other districts is that they bring in like if you don't have diversity and leadership, you could bring in teachers oh, to yeah. your interview process, mm-hmm. and I think teachers provide like a unique uh, like lens when it comes to uh, like hiring other teachers, you know, because they, they've done it, you know, so bringing teachers in, bringing what you have to the table if you do not have the leaders in place. And then also now you're building the capacity uh, for leaders. Another thing um, like with recruitment, like word of mouth is powerful. And like in order to create generate that word of mouth, um, I think that you have to work on building a culture. Um, that uh, that makes people feel comfortable. Now, some schools are doing things like creating affinity spaces. And for those that don't know, an affinity space is a group where like a certain minority group, uh, you know, comes together. Doesn't just have to be black. It could be LGBTQIA. It could be, you know, whatever, you know, uh, uh, Latino, Latinx. It could be whatever. But they come together and they have a, a space where they could talk about uh, the different issues that they're experiencing, you know, within their, their, uh, their, their subset. Also, mm-hmm. as a leader, I mean, it's important for you to listen. You know, um, sometimes, not going to lie, man, as an administrator, like, the man, the days are long, it's hard. And you might you might have, like, some compassion fatigue, but, like, you have to uh, be able uh, and, uh, and also be humble enough to listen to, uh, the you know, the concerns of the staff because they come in with a totally different lens than you might have. Like, you might have uh, done something in good faith, but you might have overlooked something. So I think it's really important to empower people other people that you hire to be able to communicate with you and also, um, you know, just to listen, receive it and try to gradually improve things over time. So eventually you have people saying uh, we got it going on over there. Uh, you know, I'm not going to lie because, like, you know, at one point our district, we had a reputation like it wasn't a place to be this year. We probably hired like the most uh, diverse uh, staff um, that I've seen since I've been there. I mean, there was one point where I was the only black male educator in the entire wow. district. But this well, that year, makes me proud. Uh, Boom. Right. You know, but we did a lot of work on the fr- forefront. Like we also mm-hmm. you know, brought you guys in, uh, you know, you and Dr. Patterson Mills in mm-hmm. to, to train our staff on like some of these concepts so that they at least have the awareness. And uh, sometimes, like, you know, people think like, oh, well, my uh, staff, you know, like they're ultra conservative or they're ultra this. So, you know, they're not going to agree. It's not necessarily about agreement. Sometimes it's about understanding, exactly. um, you know, and like so we wanted to have like a baseline of understanding of what was going on so that people could do better. And also we have a question from Rogue. 
Um, what does turnaround look like? What are the metrics for that so that um, you know you've succeeded? Now, for our district, I will say that we want our teaching staff to eventually look like the student body that they serve. That's what we want. That is our aim. And we're, we're doing that uh, through our diverse, uh, no, no, through our uh, Grow Your Own program. So, like, we're, like our, our school is incredibly diverse. Like, it looks like the tapestry of, like, the country. So, like, you have, um, you know, like, a 25% of our, uh, our students are uh, Latinx, you know. Then we have about 12 to 14% or maybe even 15% now that are black. We also have maybe, like, 40%, 40 45% that are white. Um, then we have Asians and we have, I mean, like, we have literally, like, all of these different groups. You know, like, we have people with different sexual orientations and things like that. And we feel like it's important that I mean, people with disabilities even, you know, like we have all these different uh, pockets of people uh, within our uh, school. And we want our teachers to look like that. We want our leaders to look like that. And that's I think that's a realistic goal. Now it takes time to get there, you know, and that might look like, you know, chugging away like one percent at a time or maybe you might hit, you know, like this year we might have hit 10. You know, I mean, like we, I mean, we, we were on fire. Um, shout out to Kevin Robinson, our human uh, resources director. Like, I mean, he was like, he's out there recruiting. Mm -hmm. I know that he went to the flip job fair and everything, uh, you know, like a couple times at least. Um, Cause I was actually there. Oh yeah. The flip job fair is a really good concept too, to, to really uh, get those recruitments. So shout out to Dr. Howard Fields and Dr. Daryl Diggs. I didn't tell you the story about that Tyrell, not to get on topic, but um, when they held their first symposium uh, about four years ago, I cold called them or cold emailed them and said, Hey, you know, I would love to volunteer for your organization. I have this business background. I can help y'all stay organized, yada, yada, yada. Four years later, we are going strong. Um, I mean, I, I'm working closely with them. We're actually gearing up for uh, the State of Black Educators Symposium 23, trying to secure the location, secure the uh, presenters. And that is a great way as these podcasts, what you're doing, and then these different organizations, we got to do whatever we can to recruit and retain uh, Black educators. We have to just for the, the safety of our children, the, the success of our children in the future. Yeah, to totally agree. And one thing that people might not realize is that this is not like a regional thing. Like this is like national. It's a national. <laughs> yeah, like EDU Openness is national. Like it's oh, a national yeah. application. Uh, the, the state of black educators is not a regional. It's not the St. Louis thing. You're bringing in speakers from all over. Absolutely. Viewers for, are from all over. So like this is this is it's a pretty big deal. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, so just kind of, you know, uh, oh, we have another question. So let's see. Here in Texas, candidates can work as instructors with salaries. Once they have passed their content exam, uh, altern alternatively, they can uh, teach if in an alternative program. Does Missouri offer this? Absolutely, we do. So uh, Missouri has kind of uh, loosened their um, uh, grips on uh, become how to become certified because we are in desperate need of teachers. It is like literally a, a severe crisis. Never have, have, have I had so many districts reaching out to me in desperation. I need a ELA teacher. I need a math teacher. And so that's where, you know, developing those relationships with the educator preparation programs, the districts, and even at the state level, um, you, you come together, collaborate, you can really do, do a good job with recruiting and supporting those candidates through the program. But to speak to your question, uh, Dr. Aguirre, so um, we have alternative certification programs. As long as that individual holds an undergraduate degree, um, there's a quick pathway to certification. Uh, they can get hired in the district. It's a, a contract between the district, the uh, educator, 
and with the education prep program. So if we all agree on what's going on, we're giving support to that candidate. They can get hired as a full teacher, and then they have at least two years to complete the full certification program. Uh, additionally, if you're an undergraduate student and you're within 12 credit hours of completing a program, the district can hire you on what's called a provisional. So we can get you in there, even though you're not quite completed, uh, completed a program, but you can get a kickstart on your career while you're working to finish up those requirements. So yes, Missouri does have a very similar uh, process as Texas. And if I'm not mistaken, I've received many, many um, reciprocity forms from Texas where an individual is certified in Texas and they want to come work in Missouri. It's a pretty seamless process, just a verification from the certification officer, which is another one of my titles, certification officer for the state of Missouri. Um, once that's verified by my office, then boom, you're certified to teach in Texas, and you're also certified to teach in the state of Missouri. So Missouri has some really relaxed requirements when it comes, when you've obtained your teacher certification in one state and you want to move to Missouri and teach in this state. Oh, I didn't, I didn't realize it was that simple. Um, so, it, it you, know, you know, I don't know, you know, I don't know anyone that's interested in Texas, you know, at all, or, you know. Oh, be nice. <laughs> you know, I'm just saying, you know, uh, like, is it the same process for administrators, though? Uh, yeah, pretty much. Okay. All right. All right. So that's interesting. So you want to move um, to Texas? Let me know. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so the other thing, um, is that there's a significant rise in students that are needing ELL supports, you know, today. Like, are we seeing like that, um, like those types of students, like students that have like maybe like a Spanish speaking background, like coming into Lindenwood? Are you noticing like those students, like more uh, candidates, uh, coming in, um, you know, for like that could speak Spanish or whatever? Um, so, yeah, I mean, we have uh, Lindenwood has a very high international student population. So that there's that because um, uh, we we as an educa educator prep program, we have to be able to support those candidates as well. Um, but I mean, as far as like within the districts, we're having trouble. We I'm really saddened about this because we actually had an ESL program where we would prepare candidates uh, to to teach uh, K-12 students, um, you know, teach those um, second languages, but we, the numbers were so low that we, we couldn't sustain the program. But then this was like two or three years ago, but now with the teacher crisis, now we have more individuals contacting us interested in our ESOL programs, but now we've removed it. So I have to refer them to a different, uh, different educator prep program, but it is a very high need area right on up there with STEM um, because we have to be able to teach those kids where English is their second language. And if we're not equipped as educators to do that, then we are failing that population badly. Uh, so I just really wish um, um, we offered that program again. And, and maybe maybe if there's, you know, maybe if we could create a little bit more demand from the Missouri side, maybe I can kind of talk or convince Lindenwood to, to revisit that program because it is a very high need, high need area right now. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're struggling to even find enough people like to do push-in services and stuff like that because, you know, like that's like the science classes. So, you're, you know, you're getting taught like English as a second language, but still we need people that can push into the science classes and teach them in both English and Spanish, I guess, mm -hmm. like, you know, like to help them out. Uh, and I think that sometimes that limits like kids that are really smart from, uh, you know, from that might not be native English speakers from being able to take like your higher level Absolutely. Uh, science and math classes. So yeah. we definitely have a need. So, you know, if anyone from Lindenwood is listening, you know, <laughs> probably want to consider that. Absolutely. <laughs> for sure. So, um, you know, 
then there's other things that, you know, like that, you know, when we could talk about hiring diversity, um, mm-hmm. I noticed, you know, cause we have like a, like a district wide diversity and equity thing. Like that's different uh, things that we miss out in but when it comes to like being handicapped or like, mm-hmm. you know, or all of these different things, you know, uh, different things that we just miss that just blind spots for us. Like, are you noticing like people with handicaps or anything coming in or, and I don't, and I apologize if I'm saying this incorrectly, if I'm not using the correct language. Sure. Oh, I, well, I know your heart and, 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 you know, I, I often struggle with making sure I'm saying things uh, politically correct, but uh, to your point, we actually have a student who, and I won't mention what uh, his accommodations are or anything, but he has an impairment Mm-hmm. And he's in our teacher ed program. And uh, based on his impairment, it's hard for us to place him to do his practicums and eventually his student teaching. So we actually just met about this situation. What we have to do as educators, as educator prep programs, is we have to step outside of our comfort zone, do a little research, do a little digging to provide support and accommodate those individuals because they're not the only one uh, dealing with whatever impairment they're dealing with. So we have to be able to, to step out their comfort zone. It's going to give, we're going to do a little extra work, but we have to do whatever we can to provide that accommodation to that individual because that individual will be a strong advocate for others who deal with the, this, a similar impairment within those K-12 schools. So that's on, a, that's on the educator prep program to, to really get out there and provide that, that additional support to those individuals. Yeah, I, I agree I, totally. And I also uh, wonder if, uh, you know, that could help, that could be detrimental to them, like when it comes to getting certified and stuff like that, you know, because there's not a lot of accommodations from what I see for people um, with disabilities. And it's not even just like mental disabilities, but it could be like height or mm-hmm. like, you know, maybe, I don't know, like uh, deformities or, or things right. like that, like all the like the appropriate accommodations for people that come from these different walks of life. Because I think having educators in the building, they kind of go through some of the same struggles or Absolutely. maybe, I don't even want to call it struggles because they might even think it like it's a success. It's their you know, strength. Because it could be that <laughs> right. for them. Um, you know, like, but that also might empower students that are going through the same thing. So it's just, it's, you know, I think. We and I wonder if there's a fear, like for individuals who, who uh, require accommodations, I wonder if there's a fear of the profession, um, thinking that maybe their systems aren't in place. Uh, we don't have many systems in place because we don't see that population too much coming through our program. But when we do, it's on us to make sure we provide those accommodations so we can see them successfully complete. So those K-12 kiddos who are dealing with a similar impairment can see that representation within themselves. It's not all about black and white people. It's all about uh, human views. And so it could be that individual with that impairment who wants to see someone uh, or connect with someone with a similar impairment. Same goes with uh, race, ethnicity, uh, or gender, or you know things like that. So it's not a black-white thing. It really is a representation of uh, one another in a human sense. Yep. And let's see, we have another comment here. We have a shortage here in Texas for uh, ESOL. So I'm guessing this English is a second language. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, teachers and what districts do is that they place the students in Spanish. Definitely should revisit that. I, yeah, I, I think that that's totally um, that's totally unfair um, to students to put them in Spanish as an accommodation just because you don't have the the um, wow. you know the teachers. And I and and I, I I've seen that happen too um, because you know you figure like hey like this is a class that the student could you know could pass or whatever. But I mean like if they're not interested in that and they're losing out on electives and everything else or like core classes, I think that's a that's a travesty. So we need to do something for sure. And and doesn't Texas have a high Hispanic population? 
Yeah. I'm so, not sure, but I would think so. Yeah, they do. They definitely have a high Hispanic population. And then they also have a lot of uh, first generation Americans too down there. Mm -hmm. So like they might be coming up maybe from like um, Central America or whatnot, you know, and they might not have like strong writing skills in Spanish. So you might assume like, oh, like they speak Spanish, but yeah. they might not speak the Spanish that, you know, the teachers are speaking, you know, like because it's very Americanized, like they might have um they might say things a little bit differently with a different accent, or they might not have the writing skills. Um, or they might say write things down the way that they sound, and they might not be exactly the way that it's actually spelled. So um, it, it's definitely a misconception thinking that someone that comes in from a foreign country that speaks Spanish mm -hmm. actually um, writes Spanish, writes Spanish, or speaks it in the way um, that uh, we speak it here in America. Right. So then uh, we have, I'm certified in Spanish in Missouri, Texas, Florida, and so, okay, and South Carolina. I see you. The case all over. Not sure if Missouri is struggling with a shortage of ESL teachers. Yeah, I believe we are. We um, are. I remember in 2008 that Spanish teachers would help out. Um, some Spanish teachers are actually pushing back against this because they're not um, translators. So it's mm -hmm. adding an additional duty to them um, as Spanish teachers, and it, they feel like it's unfair for them to have to get pulled out during their prep time or other time, other things like that to serve in another capacity that's not within our contract. So it's definitely something that some districts are doing, um, but it might not necessarily be the best thing for the Spanish teachers or the Spanish students uh, within those classes. Absolutely. And, and I'll give you this. So I think the districts forget that they have a direct connection to the state and we have more power from the district level and from the educator prep programs le levels we have power to push back at the state level. So I sit on a couple of boards uh, that inform the decision-making with DESE. And right now, for example, we're working on um, a proposal to eliminate the entrance exam. Illinois doesn't have an entrance exam anymore. I think we elim Illinois eliminated some years go ago, uh, but Missouri is still operating on if you're an undergraduate student, you have to have this basic skills assessment passed along with the content assessment. What's happening is for our undergraduate students, they're successfully passing the content assessment, but they're not passing the entrance exam. Entrance exam is equivalent to like the ACT. Mm -hmm. um, so, so we're informing that and we're working really hard to remove that requirement because there's no research that suggests or, or shows there's zero correlation between a person passing a basic skills test and their uh, 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 proficiency in teaching. There's no correlation at all. Um, so to your point, um, we really need to, if the districts were pushing back more toward the state, the state can, the state or the, or the people, the governing bodies that should be able to enact those changes and really highlight whatever shortages there are in Texas and whatever things that need to be done. But y'all really need to start pushing back as a district, as a unified front, going directly to that state and, and, and voicing those concerns so something can be done. Yeah. So, I mean, that basic skill set was literally wiping out the diversity. And uh, absolutely. I mean, so it was you know, basic skills or you got a 22 on the ACT. Mm -hmm. Some people uh, found it was easier for them to go back and pass the ACT and get a 22 on it. So it was an adult that wanted to be teachers uh, coming in on our Saturday sessions, taking the ACT just for an opportunity to potentially teach. So think about this. You have a profession that's already under-respected, you know, like in general. It's not the highest fan. And now they got you in there with some uh, with some 16 and 17-year-olds trying to take a test that, uh, over material that you learned in high school that you know for sure does not uh, directly correlate to what you're trying to do. So it, it was a mess. 
Absolutely. And, and there's, and, and those assessments, and I, there's some research that, uh, that we conducted. So I sat on uh, AACTE, the Consortium for Research-Based and Equitable Assessments. I was uh, approved to that a couple years ago. And what we found was um, those assessments are creating those barriers and it was actually blocking out uh, people of color entering to that teaching profession. So years and years ago, and there's documented research on this, um, when, when schools were segregated and then they were, they, you know, the, the brown versus brown, they brought, them, brought everybody back together. The, the more fluent areas, the white schools wanted the, um, the, their kiddos taught by white teachers. So they, they developed these assessments to kind of kick those of color out of the teaching profession. And that has carried over and carried over and carried over to the point where we are now. They developed those tests to keep us out, but what they did was now they've kept out their own people. <laughs> so now not only have you kind of created this barrier for uh, teachers of color, you've also created a barrier for, for, for white candidates to enter the profession. So now they're scrambling. Uh, so now Desi recently lowered the cut score on the uh, on the basic skills test and they lowered the cut score on the content assessments as well. Well, they didn't lower the cut score, but they went behind the scenes and manipulated some things so people could 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 get in to, to pass these tests. So just think about those things. Um, they put those in place and now it's a barrier to their own people. So we have to do what we can to to encourage, uplift, support, do whatever we can so we can get more individuals through the pipeline. I'm talking black, white, whoever, whatever. We need more people in a teaching profession. Yeah, I totally agree. Totally, totally agree. Because I mean, the shortages are wild, like in Texas, you know, like wild shortages in Houston, Florida, all of that. Speaking of Houston and Florida, <laughs> so what, what do you think about the veterans coming in and teaching? You think they're going to be able to hold it down? Oh, no. Um, you know, I'm big on diverse perspectives. I'm huge on diverse uh, perspectives. So I actually, I would admire or, or um, encourage veterans to come in because, they, again, they have that perspective that a person from the business world, an educator, trained educator, it's just a varying, varying of perspectives. And I think that's, that's what our kiddos need. It's not, again, I don't, I've never thought it was necessarily a black or a white thing. We need those diverse perspectives so they can be successful and to see bits and pieces of themselves in different people, but to have an all white teaching staff teaching these different, uh, different groups of, of kiddos, it's just not, it's not fair to those kiddos at all. And there's no way that they can actually succeed and be their, their best self if they're not seeing some bit and piece of a representation of themselves. That's a really good idea. I mean, good perspective, you know, like we do need like multiple different pockets of people in order yes. like, for this thing to succeed. Um, one of the, the things that you're a part of this kind of doing that work is uh, EDU openings. So how's yes. that going and how are y'all uh, doing with like bringing in people from all these different walks of life? Yeah, so Fields and Diggs, I mean, I admire those two. Um, those are my brothers, my friends, my colleagues, wh whatever. We, I, I just admire their work. So with EDU openings, they develop this platform as, as almost like a central location, specific, really uh, focused for educators. And so um, when I started working uh, at Lindenwood and seeing what the K-12 uh, application systems was like 
for our teacher candidates to apply for jobs. Oh, it, it's grueling. Oh my goodness. It could take you up to an hour or more to, to submit an application to be a teacher. That would make, that would turn me off right away because I, my patience levels ain't there. Mm. So they developed this platform where you upload your profile. Uh, it's you're using and an, you can do a mobile app. You can do it online. Um, but it's just a seamless system. That's, not antiquated like the K-12 systems are, can be. Um, but then you do your profile one time and then boom, you can share it out to different districts and then the districts can see you. It's almost like a match.com if you ask me, uh, but it's just a great way to recruit and to really start help filling those gaps within the district. So eduopenings.com, y'all should check it out. And we do have um, individuals all over the U.S. Uh, we started, you know, the larger base is Missouri, but there are... Um, uh, other states that are starting to really uh, fall in line and, and and gravitate toward EDU openings. Yeah. And then up next, uh, you, you all do have the Black Educator Symposium. Like, mm -hmm. when is that going to be? And like, what is that? Uh, can you tell, like, some of my audience might not even know what it is. Like, can you tell okay. them what it's about? So the, the, the State of Black Educator Symposium is a huge to-do. It was so successful. When I tell you Black people just need a space where they can fellowship and see themselves. Um, their first year was an absolute success. They weren't even expecting the number, the volume of people. So they built off that. And then the second year, I mean, they're getting uh, uh, um, all types of donations and, and different things and sponsorships. People want a space for educators of color and the state of black educators supposing is that space. And I can't think of any other space right now that's as big as theirs. Um, but it, it just brings together um, people of color. I mean, and there's other there's there's other races involved as well. But the central point is people of color to recruit and retain and to show. Uh, I hear you, brother. I hear you, sister. Uh, last year, we had some really powerful uh, presenters. One that really stuck with me uh, was Dr. Gloria. Um, oh, gosh, I can never get her name right. Um uh, Billingsley, uh, Latson Billingsley. Uh, and this year we're looking to possibly bring her back. We're looking at some, some really big heavy hitters out there uh, that are black and that are really uh, vocal about racism and, and equity in education. So State of Black Educator Symposium, SBE 23, be ready, mark your calendars. It's going to be the first week in February. We're working on the planning phase right now. It is going to be another epic symposium this year. Yeah, last year was huge. I mean, was, and we went virtual, but it was people from everywhere. You, everywhere. Even like two years ago, like during COVID and everything. So I know it flipped and became a virtual thing. Yeah. People from all over uh, that were in that room talking about it. I saw people talking about it and all the way out in California. So yeah. it's a really, really big deal. So, like, are these speakers mostly like from the St. Louis metro area or like where do you find these leaders? No, we, we, we choose national speakers. Um, so I think one year we had Chris Emden. Um, uh, we're, we're working on some other uh, heavy hitters. Uh, oh, what's the other lady's name? I can't think of her name. Oh, my gosh. Muhammad. Gloria Muhammad. Does that ring a bell, Tyrell? Yeah, it does. Um, she's actually an alum of Lindenwood as well. Okay. Uh, so I mean, we, we're 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 looking for national talent to to come out and to really bring voice and speak to us. Uh, so it's not just Missouri uh, presenters. We 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 do it. We do it nationally. Yeah, and not only that, not only are y'all doing that, but you also have the flip job fair. Um, could you tell everybody a little bit about that, and then I'll tell a story about like my time there. Okay, flip job fair. The last one we held was um, in Kansas City. 
and the one before that we were at Harris Stowe. It is such a phenomenal concept and it's it's so basic, but it's genius. And it's and when you get two co-founders, uh, two, two well-plugged um, uh, uh, educators, young black men doing this thing and putting this together. So the concept of the flip job fair is now, as we all know, Okay, let me use this as an example. So when I was like 17, 18, you know, I had to hope I would get the job at McDonald's making four, five dollars an hour. Things have completely changed. Now, everybody now you see a sign up on McDonald's that says, uh, hey, we looking for workers. So my point is, is now the, the corporations, the big businesses, they don't have the power. The districts, don't, the districts have no power. We have the power now. So the model of the flip job fair is you as the individual looking to uh, to be employed, you, the, you actually are interviewing the employer. So the employee is, 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 is what it says. It's a flipped concept, a flipped uh, con, you know, uh, job fair. So the employee interviews the employer to see if the employer is a good match for the employee. And it is highly successful, highly, highly, highly successful. And so be on the lookout for our upcoming one. Yeah, for sure. And I just want to tie all of these different things together. So you have EDU op uh, EDU openings that's helping you with the mm -hmm. application process and identifying yep. diverse candidates, right? Making it easier for those candidates right. to apply uh, for your your you know for the jobs at your school district. Then you, when you're talking about retention, now you also have the Black Educator Symposium yep. where people could uh, fellowship and uh, vent and share resources and ideas amongst each other. That's gonna go well for helping black educators stay in the profession. So you see how this is all kind of tying together? And then you have the flip job fair, which is which empowers uh, like the black educators. It's not even just black people that were there. It was people from all no, kinds no, of- No, no, yeah, 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 it's for everyone. It's for everyone. Flip job fair. Um, my time there, let me tell you, I went to the one that was like during like the COVID time, right? So uh -huh. it was like virtual. And uh, it was interesting, like, you know, because you had like the pre setup where they kind of gave you some questions that they wanted you to ask everyone. And that was really like my um, real introduction to Dr. Fields and Dr. Diggs. Mm -hmm. And uh, like they had some really interesting questions. So, you know, so I'm in, in my room for a while, you know, because you have to set up like your Zoom breakout room. Mm -hmm. So I'm in my room, you know, I'm like, all right, man, you know, people will be here shortly. It took a while like for people to come. But once they came, it was packed all at the same time. And it was interesting. So I was like going around and letting uh, and interviewing them. Like I was like the one at the table, and then they were trying to tell me why I should come to their district. Absolutely. I, was, I asked. I think it was Doctor Fields' uh, question. He uh, said, uh, "What would a person from my uh, cultural background uh, say about uh, your district or your school or whatever?" And like you know, everyone kind of had good answers. Now that was one school, and it, it it literally like I thought about this. Was like, man, this was such a good question because it literally. One school district didn't have any candidates, uh, you know, from, you know, like my background or whatever. Mm -hmm. So uh, she was like, so what do you mean by your cultural background? I was like, I ain't gonna lie to you. I'm from the hip hop culture. Like, what you talking about? <laughs> I'm gonna be me, man. If you want me, then you're gonna get me. Like, you Authentic know, it, 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 me. Right. Yeah, like, I'm, not, I'm not gonna sugarcoat anything for anyone. Like, I don't want to be anywhere where I'm not wanted. I always say that. Yeah. So, uh, you know, like she was kind of stammering and stuttering. And she was like, uh, She's like, I don't, I don't know what anyone would say because we don't have anyone like that. So, <laughs> so yeah, at least they were there trying, you know, like just to, right. you know, tip my hat to them. But it was interesting. I'm like, dang, man, y'all don't have one person. Yeah, right, I'm, right. I'm not gonna be a test dummy, but uh. exactly. But you know what? The the most powerful part of that uh, flip job fair for me was the coaching part. 
where Fields and Diggs coached the audience, uh, you know, the participants, coached them and, and just basically hounded in them, recognize your boss. I will never forget that statement. Recognize your internal boss and remember that you have the power. When they gave that speech, it, it's like every the light bulb went off for all these people who were uh, looking to be employed. And, it, and, and it, they just helped, helped you realize your, your, your personal power. So that was really powerful for me. Yeah, and I think one of the good things about um, the flip job for you have districts that actually really are seeking out diversity. Like, And the, the one thing about getting hired by a district that wants you is it allows you to kind of grow like because they actually wanted you. They don't want to lose you. They actually wanted you. So they're going to allow you to grow. Like you're going to be able to take some chances. You're going to be able to uh, have other additional opportunities. And that's one of the powerful things about just being like all the second choice yep. like versus being someone that was actively sought after uh, to be in uh, the district. Like, you know, even like staying home at my, my school now, like I wanted, I wanted to be wanted. And I felt like I was wanted um, in my district. So, like, that's the main reason why I, I kind of stopped applying uh, after I applied. Yeah, awesome. You know what I mean? Like, being wanted to me was, like, my number one thing at that yeah. time. It's that sense of belonging. Mm-hmm. So, so, Dr. Moore, where can people, uh, where can they find you, you know, on Twitter? I know you're on Twitter. I know you're active on LinkedIn. Uh, yeah, I, I call I call LinkedIn the old people space. So I'm very active on the old people space on LinkedIn. Twitter is overwhelming to me. So you rarely see me on Twitter, but you can catch me on LinkedIn. Just type in the Google search, Tammy Moore, Lindenwood. I'll pop right up. Um, always available to individuals. You can call with any questions, any off the wall certifi certification questions. You could be in Texas. Uh, you can be in whatever state. I'm here for you. I'm here to support if I don't know the answer, I have very close ties with the state and I will get you the answer that you need. So last two questions. All right. Last two questions. What would you say, um, like, if you could give like one like word of it, like, I don't know, like piece of advice uh, to a school district that said we don't know where to start when it comes to hiring diversity. What would you tell them? I would tell them to first look within. Um, I, I will be kicking off uh, a consulting uh, business here soon where I would actually uh, promote my business through the districts and actually go in and do that work for them. So but I would say start within and, and, and find an education prep program. You can contact me as well. And let's work together to try to get those non-certificated staff within your buildings who are already involved and engaged with those kiddos working as teacher's assistants or whatever it may be, you're sitting on certified teachers right now. You just don't know what, what, what you need to do. I can help with that, or you can start at your state level. We need to get these people certified. Yeah, I mean, that's a great piece of advice, especially if they already have them like that. Yeah, yeah, it's almost embarrassing. It's like, dang, man, we didn't even know that. And mm -hmm. then my last question for you, what would you say to, um, you know, like the prospective teacher like or educator? They isn't quite sure that they're capable of uh, becoming an educator or like overcoming like the odds of passing like the entry uh, exams and the basic skills and stuff like that. What would you tell them? Find you an ally. Find you an ally within whatever education prep program you choose. Don't just choose a program because you heard word on the street that they were the best. There's no such thing as the best per se. You want the best support. You're gonna, you need to find you a person who's going to support you, who's going to fuss at you and tell you not to give up, um, but find a program that has those types of resources for you. If you have those resources, you will see just how easy it is 
and I won't necessarily say easy, how doable it is to complete a teacher certification program, which is, they're, they're rigorous programs. I have such a respect for educators because y'all go through a ton of hoops and there's a lot of requirements. Find you an ally, find you a support system because it's way easier, way doable than you think it may be. So thank you so much, Dr. Moore, for your time. I really appreciate you. Like you're always there, always helping out with the tough questions. And like you're quick to help somebody out in a time of need. So I just want to let you know I appreciate you. And thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing all your wisdom with us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. All right.